Hey, welcome to episode three of the Learning to Preach podcast. In this episode, we want to talk about homiletical basics. Homiletics is, of course, just a big word that seminaries use to describe the art of preaching. And so what we want to talk about here, in the last episode, we talked about how to build an outline, the skeleton. Uh, we want to talk about here how to put meat on the bones. How do we build out that skeleton? How do we give a sermon some color, some life? When you get in the pulpit, how do you say more than just the skeleton? How do we do um, things that, that uh, give it some color and some depth and some fullness? Uh, so let's talk, first of all, uh, about the most important thing. Well, actually, I can't say it's the most important thing in a sermon, but it's probably the most important thing at the beginning of a sermon, and that is uh, your hook. Uh, when I took public speaking in college, uh, one of my professors said, anytime you uh, speak publicly, the first sense that comes out of your mouth is the most important thing. It's the thing that either grabs people and pulls them in or makes them say, I'm not sure I care about what you're about to say. Now, I think you can expand that to maybe the first paragraph, right? I mean, you might get up and say, hey, how are you doing? It's great to be here today. There might be a few sentences of just sort of finding your uh, balance in the pulpit. But early, early on, you gotta grab people's attention. You've gotta hook them. There are multiple ways to do that. You might start with a story. You might start with an illustration. You might start with a powerful question that taps into a longing that people have that you're gonna to try to answer. But either way, in the first three or four minutes of a sermon, you gotta do something that hooks them and grabs their attention. Now generally, we just talk about that as the introduction. Every sermon has one. Um, the point I'm making is don't let your introduction be boring. If your introduction is, hey, I'm here today to preach to you, let's open our Bibles to XYZ text, I'm gonna tell you some things the Bible says in this text. That's great. This isn't a Bible study. This is a sermon. Uh, I want you to feel free to use the powers that God has given us of creativity, of, of liveliness, to pull me in, to grab my attention. Think of this uh, like the beginning scene of a good movie or like the hook of a good pop song. You, you want to make me go, ooh, I don't want to change the station. I, wanna, I like how that sounds. I want to lean in and listen a little bit more. Uh, this is one of those things that a lot of preachers overlook because we tend to be so text-focused. We tend to be so concerned about uh, the content that we want to deliver that we just sort of make the introduction fast so we can get into the raw material of what we want to say. What I want to convince you of is if you do a faithful job in the introduction, you'll get people listening to you for the whole sermon. If you sort of skip the introduction, 10 minutes in, your people might not be hooked anymore because you haven't gotten them on the line. Again, fishing is a great analogy here, right? If you've ever done uh, really intense sport fishing, you know that getting the fish hooked is just the beginning of the fun, right? Then there's the chase and the reeling it in and letting some line out, and there's, there's a whole fight that gets to getting that fish into the boat. It just starts with the hook. Uh, if you want the pop song analogy here, it's that song by Blues Traveler. The hook brings you back. On that, you can rely. You heard it here, folks. All right, so you need a good hook. You need a good introduction. Uh, the next thing you need to put meat on the bones of a sermon is what I would call a rhetorical big idea. In other words, uh, this, may not, this may or may not be the big idea statement you had in your outline. It's something akin to that, but something that might have a little more rhetorical power. What I'm saying here is as a preacher, you, you obviously want to lean into the power of words to do work for you. Doug Wilson says, a preacher is a wordsmith. Your job is to use words compellingly. So if the big idea of the sermon is we should forgive like Jesus forgave, that's great. But that might not, people not, might not remember that the Wednesday after you preach the sermon. If you have a way of phrasing it or stating it that's memorable, 
that sort of sticks in their mind that has a chance of still capturing them later in the week and them returning to that. Or even next time they open the Bible to that text, remembering, oh yeah, when Pastor Justin preached on this, this is what he said, I remember that. I'll give you an example uh, that I didn't use this Sunday but could have. Uh, I, I preached a sermon recently on forgiveness, on the parable of the un- unmerciful servant. And I came across a line in the commentaries that was this, grace not shown is grace not known. Now, I used that line in my sermon anyway because I thought it was a good line, but I could have built the whole sermon around that rhetorical big idea. What's more compelling to remember on a Wednesday? Jesus wants us to forgive one another as God has forgiven us, or grace not shown is grace not known. When things rhyme like that, when they're pithy, when they're hooky, when they feel like a bumper sticker, they have a way of sticking in people's consciousness. And sometimes a sermon needs that kind of rhetorical big idea. Now, I want to give you freedom here. You're not going to come up with something that sounds catchy every time you preach. But as often as you can, you want to do that. Uh, One of my African-American friends who preaches a lot, when we would brainstorm together, he would call this the horse. That you're going to, he's like, oh, there's your horse. You need to ride that horse. And what he meant was, keep coming back to that theme, that line. That's your applause line. That's your rhetorical big idea. That's the thing people are going to remember. That's the idea that you want to ride throughout this sermon. Okay, so have your rhetorical big idea. Um, Then, as you continue to put meat on the bones of an outline, um, you're going to have uh, what you might call, let's just use the whole category of illustration, okay? I th- some people have a more specific technical meaning to illustration. I think of this as anything that adds color or life. This can be a personal story. It can be an analogy. It can be um, uh, something, some story you got from some book somewhere that makes the point or supports the point that you're making. The idea is you're stepping out of the building of the case here to support the case with something that's hooky, something that's memorable, something that gives some flesh and color to the point that you're trying to make. Um, and, and we'll come back to talking a little bit more specifically about all the things you can do there. Uh, the other thing you need, and this is important for young preachers, and I don't do this well, but this is from my friend Will Walker. Uh, you need islands of refuge, Okay. Uh, when, when Will talks about islands of refuge, I don't remember if he made this up or if he borrowed it from someone, but the idea here is it's something funny or it's a personal story about your wife or your kids or your life. It's some place in the sermon where you know the audience is going to breathe a little bit. You might be preaching an intense sermon about the holiness of God, but you've got a couple islands of refuge in there where you can pause, you can laugh, the audience can breathe a little bit. The reason that's important is because there's a lot of places in the Bible they're going to bring deep conviction of sin uh, that are pretty heavy in terms of their import or that just deal with really difficult subjects. Uh, think about all the sexual violence we see in the Bible. Think about our need to speak to those things in our culture. Those are heavy kinds of sermons, and they feel heavy in the room. You've got to have a few moments in a sermon like that where you can find the knowledge of refuge and just hang out there for a minute and where your audience can experience the same thing of like, okay, that was funny, that was lighthearted, or that allows me to breathe a little bit before stepping back into this intense topic. Now, again, not every sermon has an intense topic like that, but Islands of Refuge in a sermon are a really blessing to you because they allow you to sort of gain your composure a little bit as a preacher, turn the page of your outline, breathe for a minute, and dive back in, okay? And then finally... Uh, and this, is, this maybe isn't the only thing we'll say, but if I just want to sort of complete my list here, um, I would say uh, gospel application. This is different than uh, Christ-centered. 
um, having a Christ-centered sermon. This is just, hey, how can I um, get, speak to a practical means of application here that has the gospel at the center of it, but I might just need to, to say something to you as the congregation, as the audience, say, hey, here's a place where we apply. Here's how this needs to speak into our lives. Here's a place where we need to live this out, where God's grace in our weakness looks like this. So this is where you're doing pastoral work, applying what you've said, um, to the congregation. Now, this might happen within the structure of your sermon, or it might happen at the end of your sermon. There's different ways to do it, but it's an important way of putting meat on the skeleton of the outline and helping people know, here's what this looks like lived out. I had a friend at a church I used to work at, an old guy who was a manufacturing guy. He had a, he, he was, he was a, one of the most interesting jobs I know. He was that guy that for every manufacturing plant in our city, when something broke on the assembly line, he was the guy that could get the parts to fix it. So his company was literally just him and a warehouse full of parts, and he would just get calls every day of, hey, our assembly line broke down, and he was the guy that went and fixed it. And so he used to listen to my sermons, and he's like, man, I love how you preach, but here's the thing. On Wednesday afternoon, I'm going to be fixing an assembly line somewhere, and I need to know why this matters to me there. That's the kind of thing that was really helpful to me because I can tend to be abstract and conceptual and I like to live in a world of ideas. I need a guy that says, hey, at 3 p.m. on Wednesday, I'm going to be repairing some parts down at the Kellogg plant and I need to know why this is going to matter to me then. You need someone like that. You need to realize there's people like that in your church and if you don't speak to them, you're not effectively preaching the Bible. So make sure that as you apply the gospel, you're not just thinking big picture concept. You're getting down to the grassroots of the manufacturing plant down the street at 3 p.m. on a Wednesday, all right? So these are just some concepts of how we put meat on the bones of a sermon. I want to open it up to you guys now and say, where do we need to build these out or where can we give some fuller color to each of these things? Yeah, Bob, you've talked about, on illustration especially, um, show, don't tell, is that phrase that always stuck in my mind. Um, That's really helpful for me because I'm super, especially a young guy who's trying to preach, I'm always really guilty of, I'm going to explain something, then I'm going to give my illustration, then I'm going to go back and re-explain my illustration with how, you know, I'm just doing way too much, whereas instead of letting, just let the illustration speak for itself. People are intuitive, they'll pick up what you're laying down, just give, make it powerful enough and meaningful enough, and it'll, it'll work itself in. That's a place I've, I, I still need to grow. Mm, so. That's really good. That reminds me to say something, and that is that our tendency is to over-explain. My tendency is to over-explain. You have to remember that the human mind uh, works about 10 to 12 times faster than our vocal cords. What that means is everybody who's listening to you is already actually further ahead. They're anticipating where you're going to go next. They're not still thinking about what you just said. So for most of the reasons... The reason movies and music work like they do is because our minds can make the intuitive connections. We don't need the movie tell. We don't need the movie producer to make clear to us this is the villain. We've already figured out who's the villain and who's the bad guy and who's the good guy and who's the victim. We know all that when we're watching a movie scene without anybody explicitly telling us. The same thing is true in preaching. So our tendency sometimes is to over-explain. What we actually want to do is just show and let the words and the concepts do the work that they will do in the minds of the hearers. And to that point, if you're using an illustration that doesn't do that, then you probably need to rethink your illustration. So, yeah. My dad used to say, you don't want your illustration to pull rank on your big idea. If what people remember from the sermon is the great story you told, but they don't know why you told it, that's probably not helpful. You want, it, you want the illustration to actually illustrate a point from the text that hopefully it helps people remember. If all they remember is your story, then you probably haven't done the service to the text that you need to do. 
we've all been there too, where we get feedback on a sermon where that's the thing that that's I remember is, is the yeah. illustration. Yeah. yeah. It is, it, I think, to be a good illustrator, too, this is probably an area that I even feel for myself, is we can become pretty predictable. Mm. Our stories get, our illustrations get drawn from the same well. And I think being a good student of culture, reading different types of literature, watching different types of movie, talking with different types, you mentioned the manufacturer worker, talking with a number of different people in your congregation about the work that they do, being a good student of them, I think gives you, um, yeah, just more things to draw from to come up with good illustrations so that you don't become predictable where they begin to anticipate, oh, at this point, here comes the, here comes the illustration right. about his son. Yeah, if every illustration is a Marvel movie, if every illustration is a story about your kids, if every illustration is when you played high school basketball, you're, you're only sounding one note and you're gonna miss most of your audience. So yeah, the more, the more broadly you can read and think and try to, that's why it helps me to do this in a room because you guys oftentimes give me good ideas of, hey, how can we give some color to this? What, what helps to tell this or make this point in a meaningful way. Hmm. On the gospel application piece, something that I think we've done well recently and we've talked about in this room is is naming certain types of people. Yeah. Of like you said, hey, if the sophomore in high school, yeah. at four o'clock when you're tempted to actually like cheat on the test. Right. Mm-hmm. All the way to the sixty five year old trying to like maybe smudge some details on his tax report or you know like naming those cer- certain things all yes. the way to honoring different types of people or generations or demographics it really like it really brings unity to the room but it also like it can be that hook in it like halfway through a sermon of like i'm the 35 year old it's kind of checked out because he's talking about finishing yeah. well you know yeah. i'm like well good same I, thing there you can't use the same one every week mm. Uh, nor will every congregation have the same types of people in it. But as I'm writing a sermon, I'm always trying to think about how can I name one or two types of people that I know are in the room. So that way, if you sit under my preaching for six to eight weeks, hopefully I'm naming something real particular to you in that scope of time. Does that make sense? So I try to think about, yeah, how do I, how can I try to name the actual situations the people in my church are in and that's why a lot of pastoral conversations make you a better preacher. Uh, if you just know, like, you know, recently we've had a lot of people laid off of work and people out, like, if you know that's going on in your congregation, you can just name it and it feels like you're speaking real time to the actual struggles people are having instead of preaching a sermon that sort of hovers at 10,000 feet and is true and important mm-hmm. but doesn't land in people's lap in their actual experience. Yeah, you've even used this, not trick, but this practice with us almost like inhabiting, thinking about that specific person. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, oftentimes after we build an outline we'll, or even in the process of building an outline, you'll say like, hey, what are the pastoral care issues on our church? And we'll think about how is, you know, John Doe or Sarah such and such or, you know, Leslie, whatever, like, how is she going to hear this and what does she need to hear? Mm-hmm. Like, that's really helpful for me as I'm even up there preaching and thinking, well, hey, where's that guy sitting? Yeah. You know, or. Funny story. I have, in my old house, my study was in the basement, and I had on the wall, I, I used to have this matrix, um, and I, it basically was the, the vertical or the horizontal axis was different types of maturity. So non-Christian, young Christian, more mature Christian, older person in the congregation, person who's been walking with Jesus for 50 years. Okay, so that was the, and then the vertical was like, um, more like stage of life. So this one was more spiritual. This one was more like young mom, uh, you know, 30-something businessman, retired guy, that kind of thing. 
And I actually would put names from our congregation in that matrix so that as I prepped, I'd, be, I'd, I'd try to think about how's this point going to land with this person. So I had this thing on the wall of my study. I forgot it was there. And we had gospel community down there one night. And one of the people in my gospel community, their name was on that spot. And they were like, hey, why am I in that place on your matrix? And it was kind of fun because I was like, well, you're the guy I think of when I'm thinking about that person in our church. You're the face that I have in my mind. It was really uh, interesting. Am I wrong? Am I right? Yeah. <laughs> it was a fun moment. That, that's, I encourage young preachers to try to, it's a way to keep things concrete, to think of actual people in your church that are going to hear this and what do they need from you in the pulpit in order to walk with Jesus. It's interesting. We've, we've been working through just different phases of sermon development here. And what this seems to be doing is really forcing us to think of the sermon through the lens of the person who's listening to yes. it, who's receiving it, um, which a lot of people don't have time to get there, but, yeah. it's, but it's really important. And I think that's, you know, when you can get there in your preparation where you have time to walk through your sermon from, from the end user point of view, it helps you think through, okay, where do I need that island of refuge? Where do I need that place of humor? Where do I need to actually let them take the deep breath and laugh, either because they're experiencing sermon fatigue, because yeah. it's just been a kind of a long, heavy sermon, or I'm about to deliver a pretty hard truth that I actually need to soften that, hmm. not soften the truth, but just soften their state of being to be able to receive it. Yes. We sometimes, I think I stole this from you IT people, uh, it, it, you know, information technology also talks about the end, u the user interface or the end user. Like, it's great if I can code, but I got to make the end user be able to use my piece of code in a way that feels intuitive to them. You're doing the same thing with preaching. There's a lot of ways that sometimes we can preach to the seminary student, to the person who's really into the Bible, to people who are like us. The way to preach a sermon intelligently is to think about the end. Who's the person sitting out there listening and what do they need right now? That's how you want to learn to think as a preacher. And it takes a little bit of maturity and a little bit of practice to get there. But the more you can think about your sermons in terms of the, the person in the pew, the end user, the, the person who doesn't have your outline in their head, doesn't know what you're going to say next, but they need this truth from Scripture for their walk with God, it does help you ask better questions. Where do I need an island of refuge? Where do I need some humor? What is this person feeling right now at this point in the sermon? And how do I take that into account in what I'm about to say next? Mm -hmm. Bob, this stuff... I think takes us from good to great is the word coming in my mind of our last episode we talked a lot about this is what you learn in a class right is how to exegete how to construct a, a message but here we're talking i think the thing you encourage us to do a lot is watch comedians yes. so talk about delivery talk yeah. about how do you animate it how do you make things land in a way that's engaging and funny and so that was helpful for me because i'm used to working on one side of my brain all the time when i'm writing a sermon this accesses a whole different aspect of how do you draw? How do you tell a story? How do you draw people into the the story of the Bible and make it come alive in a way that that to your point that you've been saying sticks? And this is the stuff that's the hardest to learn, I think. Yeah, Justin, I remember a, a conversation with you years ago in our old office where I came into your office and I was like, "Hey, you've got the basics down now. You got to move to the place where you think of a sermon as a piece of rhetoric." Because it was it was clear to me you can work an outline, you can communicate. Now you got to start thinking about how the words you're using have power and how do I say them better, differently, more creatively, more cleverly, that there comes a point in development where you can move from, can I do the basics to, you know, it's like, it's like teaching a kid to play baseball, right? It's not anymore, can you swing and hit the ball? Now it's like, all right, how do you think about hitting the opposite field or hitting a curveball? You're, you're at that place where you need to think about 
the power of rhetoric. And I remember that conversation because it was sort of like, hey, you're free now to like think about the next thing, the, the sort of creativity aspect a little more intelligently. All right, so there's your, um, there's some of our best stuff on homiletical basics. Maybe you'll find it helpful, maybe it's really uh, basic, and hopefully it feels fairly basic. Um, but that's where we're gonna leave you for this episode. Thanks for joining us, we'll see you again next time.